So Money episode 800, Ask Farnoosh, with special co-host Layla Shams. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. October 26th. Did you hear that? Episode 800. I couldn't believe that as I was calculating all my, you know, my episode numbers the other day and um, thinking, how long will it take me to get to a thousand? And good news, it's a while. It's not going to be like next month or even next year. Uh, so I'm, I'm at least going to try to hit that milestone. And then after that, probably still continue podcasting, but maybe have it take on a new form. So uh, newsflash, here's an opportunity for you all to tell me what you'd like me to do with this podcast after episode 1000. Like I said, it's not going to happen for a while, but I feel like if I'm going to make a big sea change, it needs to happen over time, gradually plan it out. So if there's, um, I don't know, like a subsidiary podcast that you'd like to sow money or just a complete different way to do the podcast, as I was talking to my co-host whom you'll meet momentarily about podcasting. And she's also a podcaster. It's like, you know, over time, when you have years under your belt as a podcaster, uh, one of the luxuries you have is really getting to know your audience eventually. And in the beginning, you really don't know who's out there. But eventually, they give you feedback, you solicit their advice and input. And I hope that the show today is very much reflection of what listeners want. And if you still feel like you're listening, but uh, sometimes you wish I would go in this direction or that direction, or maybe I should really um, investigate something bigger or, you know, Whatever, tell me. Um, we have the Ask Farnoosh button on the So Money Podcast website where you can leave a question, but you can also leave comments. Instagram is also where I'm very, very active uh, building a, a community there. So you can either direct message me there. Occasionally, I'll go into the Instagram stories and put a, uh, a little widget in there where you can actually type in a question for me and then I go and answer them. So I try to be accessible. Facebook, you can email me. Farnoosh at Farnoosh.tv. So however way you wish, let me know how you think I should evolve this podcast as we enter and get closer to 2020. Oh my gosh, what is happening? I need to get a grip. Uh, so help me out and let me know where you think this episode or this podcast rather should go. I want to transition now to introducing our fantastic co-host, for today. Her name is Layla Shams and she is a podcaster. She is a side hustler. She, uh, <laughs> like me, lost her job in the recession and since then has really taken a, a complete new take on her on her professional life. And she's also an Iranian woman like I am. And so for a lot of reasons, very excited to connect with her. Layla, welcome to So Money. Thank you so much for having me, Farnish. So take us back a little bit to, well, I want to talk about your career transition, but your immigration to the United <laughs> States from Iran. Let's go there. Let's talk about like your memories of that. And, um, you know, I, uh, yeah, tell me, <laughs> tell me everything. Well, so I was born in 83, which as you know, is four years after the Iranian revolution. 
which a lot of people don't know, but there was a big baby boom in Iran at the time. So there's a lot of people born in that decade. Um, and it was during the Iran-Iraq war. So I have memories of that. Um, but my whole family had started transitioning to the U.S. in the 70s. My uncle went to school here. Um, and so we had and he came to school in Dallas. So the whole family just started trickling to the United States. And my mom was actually one of the last to leave. Um, so I remember immigrating, coming to the U.S. and learning English and all that stuff. I have very vague memories of that. Where did you settle? Where did your family settle? Dallas. So my mom has four brothers and sisters. They all moved to Dallas, uh, along with my grandparents, my grandmother's brother, all of his kids. So we have a big family there. Um, and I actually moved to Austin when I started going to school here. So I currently live in Austin, but you know, my mom is here visiting from Dallas right now. So we're a very close family. We still see each other all the time, but everyone's in Texas. Yeah, I have a couple of relatives in Texas as well. I think it's partly the climate that draws Maybe. everybody there. But also, I tell people, when you're in a faraway country, when you hear United States, you think California, New York, Texas. Mm -hmm. There's this like folklore of Texas. And I feel like there's a lot of us settled in, in these three states, especially. You went on to earn a professional degree in architecture, which I know is really competitive. Uh, what drew you to architecture? And then well, what, actually, what took you away? <laughs> actually, it's interesting. This all goes back to childhood. Um, in Iran, uh, you don't just get to go to college for whatever profession you want. You have to take this test. I'm sure you know the concours. Mm -hmm. And you get placed into a profession based on how well you do on that test. And so my mom had a dream of becoming an architect. And she actually didn't make it. She became an accountant, which architecture, like you said, even in Iran was like the hardest one to get into. So she always, you know, talked about architecture in these really dreamy terms. When I was in college, I, first of all, loved finances, loved, loved finances. I would read finance books growing up and she was always horrified because it was her least favorite thing. That was her job. Um, but once I got to college, I, I actually decided to get a humanitarian, a humanities degree and she encouraged me. She was like, you're young. You could do whatever you want. Uh, you can get the humanities degree, but why don't you also get a degree in architecture? Just throwing that out there. Right. <laughs> Try it out. And then you'll, all these doors will be open to you. You know, now's the time to, you know, work as hard as you can to have doors open. And she kept instilling that to me. So actually after my first year of being a humanities major, I decided to double in architecture. So I came out having a lot of choice, and mm. I thought that was really good advice. There, there's that Persian in you, that I practical know. advice, you know, totally. like follow your passion, but be practical. Totally. My parents knew I was always really interested in things like art and culture and entertainment and acting and like <laughs> writing, and they're like, that's cool. <laughs> but um, if we're going to pay for college, which is a lot of money, please get a degree that will actually equate to a job immediately right. Uh, right. as opposed to working at Olive Garden like a lot of my communications friends did um, for the first you know months or so or living at home with their parents, which I think my parents would have actually liked but I, I know keep us there forever. Wasn't for me. So, okay. So fast forward a little bit, you, um, became a licensed architect at, you were laid off during the recession. So was right. I. I actually didn't become a licensed architect. That's one thing, um, with architecture, it's one of those things that 
um, I've heard only 10% of women that graduate uh, with an architecture degree do get their licenses. And it usually takes years and years. And a lot of people transition out of architecture. It's a really, um, it's a degree you can do a lot with. So you don't necessarily get licensed. But I was working full time as an architectural designer is what we have to call ourselves. Uh, So I did that until 2008. And I actually quit my job um, to work on a side hustle with my family, which was this Persian board game that we've, we designed <laughs> all together. My mom uh, was actually, she taught um, reading and writing. She taught Persian growing up. She had this, the first Farsi class in Dallas uh, for kids. And so she was always interested in, in that kind of education. And uh, together with my family, my, my aunt's a psychologist. So together we designed this board game and I quit my job right before the financial collapse, right before my firm laid off a bunch of people. So it was terrible timing or maybe good timing. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, that's how that went down. So I didn't know that your mom was a taught Farsi. And so perhaps that's where also you got the, the seedling idea to start your podcast. Exactly. So after uh, the recession hit, I realized, you know, I couldn't get a job at that point. Then my hands were tied. I was like, I would like to get back in the field. Maybe I don't want to like do side businesses, you know, forever, but I could not get a job. I saw all my friends get laid off. So at that point I thought, okay, it's time to do other things. Um, I'm not going to, you know, just sit here and do nothing. So one thing I'd always been interested in was podcasting and uh, radio I loved This American Life at the time, and and I I was a podcast junkie from the beginning. And so I thought, what can I contribute? Um, At the time, Iran was in the news all the time in a really negative way. And I thought, you know, one thing I could do is do some sort of culture podcast. And one of the best ways to understand a culture is through language. Um, And so I started Learn Persian with Chai in Conversation, which I thought was, you know, a friendly friendly name to everyone. Chai is the Persian word for tea. We have chai all the time, all day. <laughs> um, so I thought it's, that was... Yeah. We bleed chai. Yes, totally. Um, so I thought, you know, this will be a really casual uh, podcast for people wanting to learn conversational Persian, which is different than written Persian, as you know. So people that just want to get started talking with family and friends or get to know Iranian people a little bit better. I thought this could be my contribution. There, and, yeah, go ahead. Keep going. Well, yeah, from the beginning when I started it, you know, I would, I had this free podcast so you could listen to it, but then I would have these PDF guides that I wrote out on Photoshop. And since I'm a designer, you know, everything had to be designed really well. Um, I really took, paid a lot of attention to the graphics and everything. So I started selling these PDF guides for each lesson for a dollar each. And the first week that I had my podcast up, I started getting customers. And they would PayPal me a dollar and I would email them the PDF guides. And that's how I got started. It was a very, and the more lessons I had, like when I had just one lesson, I'd get $1 per customer. When I had another Mm. lesson, people would send me another dollar. And then I knew like, I was like, oh, wow, I'm onto something here. Good for you. That was smart that you had like a, you were like, I want to do this podcast, but maybe it could be a funnel. You had a strategy. Totally, totally. And I started growing my email list from the very beginning. And so actually in 2010, I ended up getting back into the workforce, back in architecture. But at that point, I had this foundation laid already for this side hustle. And I kept working on it while I was at my full-time job as well. 
Amazing. Good for you. Right on. Yeah, so much fun. So and great. You know, that was a way, like, like my mom said, when you're young, you have a lot of energy. Um, I, I actually, one thing that got me into the podcast was I was really interested in journalism and like I said, podcasting. So I was just, you know, I thought, how can I get into this without having to go back to school and get a four year degree in something totally different? Why don't I just learn on my own Mm -hmm. through this method? Yes. It's like your own personal MBA for what you want to actually do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Totally. Um, fantastic. And so, you discovered so money. Uh, we we connected as a listener. You you reached out because you wanted to co-host, and I'm so grateful. How did you learn about the podcast, my podcast? Well, it was actually your uh, your interview with Mr. Money Mustache that I saw first. So I don't remember what episode that was. Was that in the hundreds, maybe? Do you remember? That, um, it was early. That was it early was early. on. Uh, exactly. So it was that episode that, that got me into it. And then I actually attended a podcasting conference where you were speaking and I came and introduced myself afterwards. I was like, hey, I have this podcast. You have an American husband that maybe needs to learn Persian. Oh, okay. So this is what I wanted to tell you. This uh-huh. is funny. So I'm so grateful for Chai and Conversations because uh-huh. – uh, the my husband actually my my parents bought him Rosetta Stone Farsi mm-hmm. one year and um, I listened to it and I couldn't make it out I was like I don't I don't understand what language they're speaking but it's not how we speak Farsi and no. Rosetta Stone I think is great for more um, mainstream languages like French Spanish perhaps I even thought the French one was a little um, awkward sounding but. But so that didn't go very well for him. So I'm going to turn him to your podcast because I think um, this way, at least he can know at Thanksgiving when people are talking about him. Exactly. And like you're saying, (laughs) getting to know your audience more. I've discovered I have this email that goes out when people sign up. That's like, why are you learning? And I will say 98% of my listeners are the husband's wives or want to be husband wives of Iranians. So that's the bulk of my audience. Awesome. And it's a beautiful language. People say it really hear is. it. It's like they it's hard to nail it down, but they say that it has hints and it does. It has hints of flavors right. of French and Arabic and uh, even English. Um it's kind yeah. of a very it's a very uh it's a it's a relatively young language compared to some of the other dialects out there, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it has but a lot of influence. So money. Mm-hmm. Back to so money though. I did so I started listening with that Mr. Money Mustache. Yes. And then I just, and then I saw you speak at the podcast movement um, in Fort Worth. It was. And, yes, I remember. Uh, yeah. And then after that, I was so hooked on the podcast. I loved it. Back then you were doing every day. So I was listening every day. And like so many people say, you're so relatable and so fun to listen to. And so I've learned so much from you. Um, I, you know, I've always been really into frugality and really into finances and I feel like you opened my eyes up into different ways of dealing with money that are not just about saving, saving, saving every penny, which I really Aww. appreciate. Thank you for saying that. That's really that's really help, helpful feedback. And totally. as I say in the intro, if you want to learn how to double your double coupons, you're <laughs> right. in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I feel like when I, I've been listening to you and I've been thinking this concept of like leveling up, like every time I listen to you, I'm like, okay, level up, level up. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, I, uh, 
I still feel that way. Like there's always room to level up, you know? Totally. Um, Awesome. So let's help some of our listeners level up. Oh, yeah. And we have a question uh, from Paula on Instagram, who is from Chile. I have a few Mm -hmm. international fans. This is really cool. I'm excited to hear from Paula. Her question is, Farnoosh, do you have any investing suggestions for foreigners? She is from Chile and I assume uh, lives there uh, or perhaps is not a U.S. citizen, therefore can't maybe access things like the U.S. stock market and mm-hmm. um, like, you know, other kinds of U.S. restricted um, investment, um, you know, whatever you call it, tools, uh, indices, markets, exchanges. So, I do have gotten this question a little bit from here, here and there from people from all over the world. And to be honest, like, I don't think there is a very easy way or even a way to access, say, like the US stock market from certain countries where there's restrictions, if that's what you're interested in. But there are other ways to invest, right? There are things and there are other ways to invest your money that don't have anything to do with the stock market. So I just know from my from my own experience, a lot of uh, foreign relatives and my parents, for example, too, who immigrated here from Iran, they were very fluent in investing in things like real estate and business and people and ideas. And I think for a lot of countries where something like a stock market is not as accessible or even, you know, is not part of their economy, then you would necessarily look at some of these other things to grow your money. And in some countries, the savings rate is better than what we historically earn in the stock market over like a 20-year period. So I know like in Iran, where there's astronomical inflation, um, the savings rate is like 20%. Did you know this? Mm, no. Wow. That's it's crazy. so high. People uh, – it would behoove anyone to like put their money in. I mean, yeah, there are risks, of course. Maybe there's not the uh, FDIC insurance like we have here over mm-hmm. there. I don't know what their uh, protections are, but that's pretty compelling. So, in, I, you know, I don't, I'm not uh, fluent in like what uh, Chile has to offer when it comes to investments, but I think that's kind of um, where you need to do your exploration. There are experts here on the grounds in the U.S. who are more versed in like international investments. But even for those, I think you may have to be a U.S. citizen. There may be loopholes. And if you are listening and you know about them or if you know about alternatives, let me know. I get this question a lot and I haven't like really done a lot of digging around into it, but I feel like there are people listening who might know. And um, I would like to relay that to people like Paula and Layla. Tell me a little bit about like, you know, for me, my parents never really insisted on like investing in the stock market growing up, but they were really into like investing in your education, investing in your, uh, you know, yourself and business and real estate for sure, because that was what they were really well versed in. Right, exactly. I think education is the biggest one. And, and we even have like in Iran, I know people invest a lot in gold and gold jewelry because that you know, goes up a lot. And, um, and also you buy things like rugs. So more like material things mm-hmm. that, that you can see that you can live in, that you can feel just like you're saying. And actually one thing I know about Chile, um, I actually worked with my first job. I worked with a Chilean architect 
Um, and the people that worked there, there was a big uh, income disparity between those of us working in the U.S. and the ones working in Chile. And I think that, you know, there's so many factors like that. Um, and like you're saying, like the factor of inflation and everything, it's really hard to answer this question. Yeah. Hard to know where to start from. Yeah. So she asked it on Instagram, which I know is not exactly, uh, you know, a, 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 an easy place to ask a long question. And I don't encourage really, really long questions because it right. does hinder me from answering because I do get them and I, it, I do answer almost every question eventually, but the long right. questions, you're going to have to probably wait like a week or two to hear from me because <laughs> right. I get really overwhelmed with like 800 word questions. I'm like, oh, I right. could answer this. So sometimes to save my of time, but still give a quality answer, I will respond in a video. Oh, nice. Because it's faster to talk than to type, for me at least. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so not to discourage anyone from asking long questions, but just know that that could be you know, a bit of a long wait. But Paula, good luck to you and thank you for the question. And um, if you're I- living in Chile, um, thank you for listening from, from so many miles away. All right, Socialique on Instagram. Another question about investing, also broad. She wants to know what's the best way to invest her money and how much does she need to get started? Do you have a 401k, Layla? I do from my previous employers and they're all rolled over to Vanguard. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I left, I had them. Into IRAs? Exactly. Yeah. So Social League, I don't know what your employment situation is, if your employer, if you work at a a full-time job and you have access to a 401k or something like that, like an employer-sponsored retirement account. Sometimes they're called 403Bs, depending on your job. But I would say that would be a good place to start uh, having access to a 401k. While I don't think that the actual investments – in every single 401k are all ideal, but I like them, especially if they come with an employer match. So often many companies will say, hey, invest in our in our 401k and we will give you a dollar for every dollar you put in up to a percentage of your income. And that's essentially free money. Uh, and so if you have access to something like that, I would say that's a great place to start. Invest in that 401k at the minimum to earn the full match. But I like to say, and this is not just me, this is a lot of the financial expert community. We like to say that if you have the ability to save for retirement, then start with a minimum of 10% of your salary in this account, whatever it is, if it's a 401k or an IRA or a just a brokerage account or like just an index fund. But, you know, I think uh, the 401k has a lot of benefits. The match is one. If that, sometimes you don't get the match, but so, but there's definitely the tax deduction. So whatever you put into the 401k up to, I believe this year it's 18,500 is tax deductible from your income, which reduces your taxes. And so that's a savings. And uh, so, you know, they're, and it's automatically distributed from your paycheck to this 401k. There's no writing checks. There's no forgetting. It's done every single paycheck. And I have to say, when I first started working in many years ago, I was like in my early 20s and my father had alluded to this thing called a 401k. And I was like, "Uh, I don't know what he's talking about. I guess I'll just learn about it on the job. And I was very grateful because on my first day, as I was, you know, learning all of the things about the job, including where's the bathroom and like when's lunch and uh, 
what is a 401k? My benefits manager at my company sat me down, Mary, and she was like, do this 401k. She explained what it was. And I was like, I don't know if I have money. Like I'm making basically nothing here, as you know, because you <laughs> failed to give me the raise that I asked for at negotiation. And she's like, I know, but we have this match. And I would just say, start slow. Like if you can't do the full 10% social leak, and I know that's not your first name, but that's your Instagram handle, then start somewhere. Start with 5%. Start with at least enough to earn the match and then move your way every year as you earn more or as you get more, you know, like you get more 401k happy because you will. You'll start seeing that account balance grow. You'll be like, how did I do this? It's because the laws of behavioral finance, you just let it, set it, forget it. And then the next year, increase it by, you know, a couple more percentage points. And then until you have about 10%, I'd love for everybody to save as much as possible. Like I'd love for you to max out that 401k. I know that's hard in the beginning, but just start. And that's the trick to be able to be able to, you know, get the confidence to do more and do better. Did I cover everything? Yeah, that sounds good. Sound good. Um, I'd okay. also like to add a little bit. Yeah, to that. please do. Like, this is why you're here. I need to take a break. <laughs> totally. I need to take a water break. So, so a book that I don't hear talked about a lot is: Have you heard of Andrew Tobias, the only investment guide you'll ever need? I have. Okay, well, I read that in high school. That was like my big investment uh, bible in high school. And I, you know, I remember he would just say Roth IRA, Roth IRA, and that was what stuck with me. My my parents didn't have good investment advice, but that I was like, Roth IRA, okay, that's the thing I need to do. So when I got that first job, I, I did do the match with the 401k, but I also maxed out my Roth IRA, which was 5,500 at the time, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and that money, you know, at the time this was my first job and I didn't miss the money, but I did think I was like, well, 5,500 right now to me is a lot of money. And it's not going to mean that much to me when I'm older. But now that now, since I did max it out back then, I realized that's totally wrong. That 5,500 now has like, you know, more than like, it's, it's become so, so much money that there's no way I could save that right now. Like compound interest is amazing. Yeah. So that's what I would say. I, I would just throw like a hundred in there, 200 in there, 300 in there per month. Um, so I'd say it doesn't matter what, what you have to get started, just get started with something and you will be amazed with compound interest, how much that money will balloon. It's amazing. Right. I know everyone always talks about compound interest, but until you see it, you're just like, whoa. (laughs) You heard it here. Layla can attest to that. And so really quick, a Roth IRA, we've talked about it on the show ad nauseum and maybe, um, but some people still don't know about them. And so just really quick, it's an individual retirement account. You can open it up at any bank virtually. And it is designed for retirement primarily. The idea is that you put money into this IRA, this individual retirement account. Your money is invested in things like stocks and bonds and mutual funds and CDs and whatever your heart desires to an extent. And you keep the money in there. You grow it until you age 59 and a half. You withdraw it penalty-free, tax um, free as well, which is where it differs from a 401k. A 401k, the tax benefit is today. You get to contribute and then reduce your taxable income with that contribution, by that contribution. 
in retirement, when you withdraw from your 401k, you pay taxes on those withdrawals. And with a Roth IRA, it's kind of the reverse. You don't get the tax benefit today. It doesn't reduce your taxable income, the contribution amount. But when you withdraw it in retirement, it's tax-free. So a lot of people like that because it offers a bit of tax diversification in retirement in terms of your income from these retirement account fund streams. And then um, today, too, you know, if you uh, are young and you're not making a lot of money, and this, by the way, Roth IRAs do have income limitations. So you can't mm-hmm. be making like a million dollars a year and have a Roth IRA. They have, there are limitations. Check the IRS website, but it's great for young people because at this, at this stage in their earning, like, you know, in their earning, they're not earning as enough to, like their tax bracket is a lot lower today than what it presumably will be later in life when they're withdrawing. Mm-hmm. So you're able to save, uh, taxes in that, in that regard. So yeah. I know Susie Orman loves Roth IRAs too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty much everybody's favorite flavor when it comes to totally. IRAs. Um, all right. So I hope that was helpful. Leanne has a question about store cards. She wants to cancel them. I don't blame her. But <laughs> she knows that her credit rating will take a hit because, you know, what happens is when you close a credit card account, you lose a few things. You lose the credit limit that was given to you through that card. You lose some of the history on that card, which includes the time frame and you know your the length of your credit history is a factor in your credit score. And so even though she's not using these cards, she's still it's like carrying a weight on her. She just wants them to be out of her life. She has excellent credit. She says, I don't plan on needing a loan anytime soon. So even if this does hurt her credit score in the short term, she's like, it's not really important to me. Should I close them? I feel like I want to know one more thing here, Leanne. I want to know what other credit cards do you have in the mix here? Are these your only credit cards? I'm going to guess no. And if that is the case, you have other cards in your kind of like credit card portfolio, then I don't think this is going to be a huge burden in the long run. And assuming also that you are debt free, you're not carrying balances month to month. Because if you do, if you are someone who's carrying a balance month to month and you with you kind of shut off access to certain credit cards and th- therefore the credit limits, then your debt to credit ratio balloons. Okay. Because you've now basically reduced the denominator in that debt to credit ratio ratio. And so that could be potentially hurtful. But again, she's not looking to get a loan anytime soon. But your credit score is not just the sort of thing that credit card companies and lenders look at. Also insurance companies look at it. Also landlords look at it when you're applying for a lease. So Sometimes, and um, you know, well, the, the employers can't access your credit score, but they may want to look at your credit report. So I don't know. There may be some t- instances where you do want to have a good credit score in the next six to twelve months. So I would say, if you have other credit cards in the mix that have high credit limits, and you're not carrying any debt, and these three store credit cards, their limits amount to less than, say, like, you know. 10, 15% of your overall credit limit, your credit allotment in your name, I don't know if it's going to like be a huge burden on your credit score. It may have, your credit score may suffer a little bit, but 
um, maybe not, it's not going to be like a foreclosure on your home. Right. So it might be a good idea to space it out a little bit, yeah. though, right? Especially if it's not, if it's not time intensive. Right. And in many cases, if they are dormant for many years, the stores will just cancel them. We'll oh, just, I didn't know that. That's yeah. good to know. <laughs> I've had, um, in my twenties, I got very store card happy mm-hmm. and I got one here and there and the other place. And, you know, mainly to get the discount. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I want 30% off my purchase today. And <laughs> Which that's a question. How do you know about those cards? Like those early twenties cards? <laughs> like, how can you find out? Like, I can't even remember if I did that. Oh, you just pull your credit report. It will say okay. if you, if you have them anymore or not. Okay. That's good to know. And the last I checked on my credit report, those cards were off. Okay. And automatically. Just, yeah. And I do believe getting, I do remember getting letters in the mail here and there like, hi, you haven't used your such and such card in 18 months, you know? So we're just sending you a friendly letter to let you know that if you don't continue to use it, we'll, you know, over the next six months, we will just take your account off our ledgers. Good to know. Cause yeah, I remember those, I remember those offers of $25 off. If you open the store credit card seemed really enticing back then. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, it so, really yeah. speaks to the zeitgeist of the, uh-huh. the young adult shopper. Or the, did you guys have in college, like the free pizza? Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. Free everything. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. I yes. can just open a card, get free money and get a free pizza. <laughs> yep. And you know, it hit the spot. In the, yes. in, in the in the moment. <laughs> um, okay, last but not least, the right Rachel on Instagram wants to know, we need to pay down my student loans. We also need to save and keep growing the business. What's the best order to tackle these things? Ooh. Wow. Well, I would say that student loans, while they're – categorically debt. It's not like credit cards where they don't have a, a you know a, a fixed payment and there's no term attached to it. Student loans I sort of feel like if you can make that monthly payment every month, which you hopefully can because if you don't then your life is about to get ugly uh, just because they you know student loans are the sort of thing where we're like, oh, it's good debt, but it can be really bad debt if you fall behind the, the creditors or not. They have no mercy. And so just make that monthly payment. Get it on autopilot. When you do, by the way, you save on interest. You can um, reduce your interest rate on that loan by 0.25%. Did you know that? Mm. Yeah, by automating. In most cases, federal and private loans. Wow. Yeah. I had never heard that before. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a great thing. And then make sure that whatever interest you're paying on these loans that you – bring that up during tax time because that can um, be an interest deduction. You can deduct that Mm. from your taxable income. So just get your student loans on a schedule, pay them off, and don't worry about being aggressive with it. Unless, of course, you have a lot more money to play with, then I think that could be a good place to put them. But generally, if your student loans, I don't think they're going to be super high interest uh, compared to, say, credit cards. You're fine. Just pay them off on schedule and follow the course. With saving, very important. I think that if you have a little bit of extra money every month that you want to then, firstly, firstly, make sure because I, I, you know, it sounds like Rachel is an entrepreneur 
Um, mm-hmm. You need a lot of financial runway. And you can speak to this too, Layla, right? Like totally. the more you have in your bank account for you for a rainy day or for the business for a rainy day for that matter, the more you can actually take some healthy risks with the business and you can totally. experiment and grow at your pace and not feel the pressure to um, you know necessarily be profitable in the first three months or whatever, which is crazy. So saving is of, of the utmost always, but especially when you run your own business because you don't have um, – you know, sort of fallbacks that people may with uh, getting laid off. You don't get a severance package when you're self-employed. You have to kind of be your own, um, your own employer in that sense of save enough for yourself so that you can give yourself the freedom to really explore this business um, gracefully. And and I know you have to keep growing the business, but. I don't know what stage of the business you're at. Sounds like early, but there's a lot of ways to bank on free resources too when you're starting a business. Um, bartering, you can um, make sure you're tapping into fellow entrepreneurs, maybe not in the same niche, but others who have resources, who have experiences can tell you don't do this or do this because um, failure can be expensive. But if you can kind of uh, hedge a lot of your little fa- little falls and missteps because you have tapped into experts and resources and fellow entrepreneurs for their feedback. That can be priceless. It can save you a lot of money is what I'm saying. Right. Um, so I'm also a big yeah, fan of growing businesses slowly. So not uh, throwing back all the money that you've earned into the business, like keeping, like you're saying, that healthy cushion and you know, taking small risks at a time, but, you know, a lot of people get really excited about a business and all of a sudden they spend all their money on equipment and, you know, things that they they don't necessarily need from the very beginning. So I think be careful with that. Definitely have that healthy saving cushion. Yeah. There's a great book and the author has been on this podcast. It's called Profit First, Mm -hmm. Mike Michalowicz. And this book is a bestseller and it really, um, Re, it shifts the mindset of the entrepreneur where I think a lot of us approach our businesses thinking like it's, uh, we have to, we make the money and then it goes all back into the business. We pay the totally. vendors first, but mm-hmm. you're the most important person in the business, by the way. Exactly. So reserving a portion of your income immediately for yourself, like, you know, we always talk about pay yourself first, but exactly. same is true when you're running a business. You, you're the profit first should go to you and then the rest of the business. So uh, if you want a resource, I would recommend Mike's book. And that's a wrap. Layla, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. It's been a long time since it's been a long, it's been coming since what, like podcast movement was like three years ago. More than that. Oh my goodness. I, think. I don't think Colette was in my life yet. So oh my gosh. Um, it's great to finally be, uh, talking and connecting on the podcast and let me know how I can continue to like, if I can help you in any way. Well, actually, so I have one little boy right now who just turned two and I'm having another baby in March. I'm not sure. (laughs) I don't know what it is yet, but I listen to all your parenting advice because that's, that's where I'm at right now. Okay. I'm about to have two. What's going to (laughs) change? What do I need to prepare for? How old is your first child? He just turned two in July. Okay, so he'll be about the same age as my son and daughter. The di- the difference is like two. How years is it? Months. How is that age gap? And so you have you have a boy, right? You have a, okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it 
is uh, I know <laughs> I can't wait till they're like six and four. <laughs> I feel like then they'll be able to negotiate and they'll be able to fight their own battles. And right. Colette will just be able to, you know, stick up strongly for herself. And now <laughs> she's still such a baby in some ways. Like she's strong. She's actually really physically strong, but her brother is four. And it's really all about like she just – it's monkey see, monkey do for her. So she totally. just wants to like climb and run and um, do silly things which can be hurt – which is safe for him but maybe hurt harm, potentially harmful for her. So I'm constantly playing like referee. Right. Physically. Fit, just prepare for like physically it being challenging. Um, okay. So got do, it. You know, just stay healthy, drink a lot of water, try to get sleep because physically it is exhausting. Right. Especially, and I'm trying to have as much of a backlog of work done so I can just automate it at that point, which is yeah. the awesome thing about yes. having side business or having your own business. It's so good. Like on someone else's schedule. That's a really, really great piece of advice. And I, and I think I, I kind of do that, but I didn't really like think of it as like a tip, but really <laughs> try to automate so much of your life, like get rid of decision fatigue. Oh, totally. Like I wear the same thing every day now. I, work from home. <laughs> I have like my, I, I buy three of the same shirts. Oh my gosh. And you need to I do a rotate. blog about that. That would be awesome. I just rotate. I learned this from some of the best entrepreneurs out there who don't even have kids, by the way. They're like, or they're, you know, they're not the primary caretakers. They're just busy because they're running a business. So they right. eat the same thing every day. They dress the same way every day. Um, they take the same path. Like they just have sort of these rituals that um, happen all the time, happen automatically. And that way, you know, they can just focus more on what is important, which is building relationships and working on ideas and being present in actual meaningful things in their lives as opposed I to like- I love it. That's you know. great, great so, advice. Anyway, lots more I can share and we can definitely continue this offline, but <laughs> I feel like it's also coming up a lot organically on the podcast because totally. I have a lot of moms and parents coming on the show. So really- it's good for all of us to learn. Thank you again. And everyone, I hope your weekend is so money. Money.